You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, Marketing Director for Studio 420. As the government lags behind on regulating consumption lounges, infused cannabis events are quietly becoming the hottest ticket in town. Today we get to meet Chef Jordan Wagman. He's a James Beard Award nominee who is using his professional talent to experiment with cannabis as an ingredient. He curates and and creates infused food and drink experiences for brand activations and other types of events. Jordan also has a sixth book on the way and just returned from Europe speaking at events and advising others on the nuances of cooking with cannabis. Let's meet Jordan. Hello. Jordan. (laughs) How, How are you? Good, good. Nice to meet you. Are you in Toronto? I am. Oh, you're okay. That's why I was really excited to dig into the, you know, who's doing the infused food and beverages because we're just on the cusp of this really coming to life in the United States. But is it ahead of us? Are you guys ahead of us a little bit? So so here's the thing. I'm American and most of my career was in the U.S. My culinary, I just say that, but that's actually not even true anymore because I'm 50. But much of my career was in the U.S. I went to culinary school in Florida. I lived in California. I lived in Colorado. Um, so, you know, and, and most of the work that I do today is in the United States, not in Canada. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. Anyways, I do a lot in the U.S. Um, very proudly, actually, with a couple companies and people like Scott Jennings, one of them from Pantry and, ben- and he and Benjamin from Flower Market. Um, so yeah, there's actually, I have a new podcast launching with flower mark. You asked a question so I can answer you, you know, no, in, you know, in some areas, um, geographical areas, we are no further advanced. Uh, As a matter of fact, LA, you know, would be much further advanced than we are here. Um, you know, it's, it's very regional. Um, but Canada is a federally legalized environment. So when I travel the globe, what's clear to me is that we really, that when we are, you know, when we leave our country, we're immediately, as are Americans, you know, who have been successful in the space, um, looked upon as global thought leaders. And immediately. And so, you know, Canada is no further ahead than some regions in the United States. Are we federally legalized? Sure. I'm not sure what that means when, you know, the rules are different from region to region. I believe it's the food and beverage, the infused food and beverage that will finally normalize, you know, kind of really bring normalization to the whole industry. And it will, without question. Agree more. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get into, I definitely want to hear about what your experience was at ICBC. And I'm, that's another area that I'm really interested in besides uh, food and beverage, but I'm really looking at the European market. I feel like we've all been in this little bubble over here, but now I feel like that's really starting to open up. It's like, what's going on over there? So I'm so curious. So I was in Spain to see Spanibus and the ICBC, uh, or to attend both. And then I was in Greece. And then I was in Berlin to experience the Mary Jane Festival and the ICBC. Oh. So I really was, I, I, I 
it was an inc- it was incredible. I was exposed to real, I'll say down and dirty, but I mean like real basic, just very basic cannabis culture at, you know, both Spanibus and the Mary Jane Festival. And you really see where cannabis is in those two, you know, emerging markets. Um, and then from a business standpoint, listen, I'm a huge fan of Alex Rogers. So if you don't know him, I, I am a big fan. Of Alex Rogers? Alex Rogers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what he's done for the industry is really interesting because it it's he's curated these, these really interesting b2b environments where it's professional but it's 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 social as well and so but you know the european markets it was really interesting in 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 in, um in berlin specifically i got to see you know there was a group of of aussies um you know there was a group of 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 south africans you know so you see those two markets definitely and obviously there's huge presence from from germany um and from spain and so on but those were really the markets that were you know really heavily identified i'm so excited about australia and south africa i can't even begin to tell you oh i'm so excited about it. mexico too you know yeah. for sure. um but i'm so excited and you know portugal for sure yeah. but you know, you saw Spain, Germany, they're talking about, and I'm just repeating, um, you know, they're talking about adult use coming online in Q2 2024. Mm-hmm. So, you know, knowing what, what we all know about timelines, you know, does that mean Q1 2025? I, I don't know. Um, I can tell you it's so nascent, you know, it's the same thing in Spain. And what I mean is I'm in the health and wellness. I'm on the health and wellness side, right? So in large part, although I'd love to say that my audience is is largely male, that's just not true. You know, I, I what I do in curating gluten, dairy, and refined sugar-free food stuff is appealing to very much a, a female audience, or you know, which is oh, yeah. you know, so that that's my audience. And so when I go there, I'm looking through that lens, health and wellness, and and is there anything really female focused? And quite frankly. I will actually mention one. There was one terpene forward beverage that I saw at Mary Jane that we now had a call this morning because I loved it. I thought it was great. I think it needs to change slightly, but really beautiful. But other than that, there was just nothing that resonated for the health and wellness. There's, it's too early. It's all yeah, seeds. I say, yeah, it's too early. Yeah, early. It's all seeds. It's all growing. It's lights. You know, that's what it's what it's about right now. When you attend Spanibus and Mary Jane, and again, this is the festivals both were outstanding. Mary Jane was outstanding. I can't wait. It was just outstanding. And you you opened up asking me about Canada is and this really was driven home when I had some, you know, some English friends come for, for a conference here in Toronto, but they were blown away that they got out of their, their cab and in front of their hotel and they looked around and there was like a dispensary here, a dispensary there, a dispensary here, a dispensary there. And they can go into all four of them. They can buy something from all four of them. They can walk outside and they can smoke it. They can do whatever they want because that's the environment. I think what it does for me more than anything is make me appreciate what I do have here. And although I'm very critical of where we're at today, 
wow, we've come so far. Yeah, right? seriously. Oh my gosh. What are you getting from like in, in Europe? What's your motive from your business aspect from building your, you know, your multimedia business? Because you do have a book or more podcast cooking shows, and then you have the uh, potluck infused entertainment. I actually, my sixth book is coming out. Um, okay. I'm really excited about that. It's I'm just working through the edits. And so I'm really excited. It's very autobiographical. But my trips there are, I was, I was speaking at the ICBC this time in Berlin. But I was, you know, I'm there to represent food and beverage because there is just nobody out there who, quite frankly, you know, there's a couple. So Nikki Stewart, Chef Nikki Stewart, she's just brilliant. And if you don't know who she is, you know, she's just, you know, I wouldn't define her as, yeah, she's, you know, worked for Dave Chappelle or Snoop. I would say that she is cutting edge. She was in pharmaceutical. She's a brilliant woman. And so she really can do what I do. And that's educate and, and create formulations. But that's what I want to do is I want to be abroad. I want to talk to people that are doing things in emerging markets, South Africa, Australia, talk about things because some of those, some of those, some of those regions are more forward thinking than we are here. Oh. And so products that, you know, would might take me some time to even expedite to bring to market here in Canada. We could probably do it in half the time in Australia or South Africa. The other part of it is in South Africa, which was so incredibly, you know, enlightening for me, was everything is so cultural. You know, they've been using cannabis culturally. And so because they are still using it, you know, tribes are still using it in some areas, they have the right to be growing it. And I'm now there's interest in me educating them because it's only cultural. Now, how do we make it lifestyle? How do we incorporate what they know to be very cultural into creating a gluten-free gnocchetti with an infused cherry tomato sauce or, you know, infused, you know, hemp seed crackers or, or a million times over, you know, or, but that's what they're looking for is how do we find people who can educate others i was when i was in spain i went to madrid to produce 15 shows for 10 whatever it was for instituto amsterdam out of mexico city okay and that's because they fully appreciate the importance that although there's all the science and although there's food scientists that are involved in recipe development and so on, there are culinarians that need to be touching that food and beverage before, you know, food scientists do. And I said in Berlin, think about it like it's, a, you know, that relay race, right? Well, why do we have food scientists that are running out of the gate? It should be me. It should be my friends. It should be mixologists that are creating these recipes, these formulations inside a kitchen they run, they come out of the gate, and then they can pass the baton to someone that can work on, you know, the, the scaling of it, the, the emulsification, the shelf stability, and so on and so forth. But we're starting out of the gate with somebody who doesn't use their palate for a living. Um, I, I would love to hear more about the um, potluck-infused entertainment. I, I think I read that you're doing a lot of brand activations with it, which seems pretty cool. 
you know, and I'll give I'll give you an example. The most recent example before I started, you know, traveling to Europe this year was Tanner Stewart from Stewart Farms from New Brunswick. He flew out here to host uh, 40 people. And he also does um, the, the farming where he's taking the aqua farming, where he's taking the, the fish poop and he's fertilizing his cannabis with it. And so he makes bath bombs and he makes topical bombs and he to, and he makes bath salts. And it's just incredible what he does. And he also has flour and pre-rolls. So he said, chef, I want you to create this 12 course meal, whatever it was, to mimic the flavor profiles in all of my skews. I also want to have these type of people there. I want two people that represent retail, like C-suite. I want athletes there because he's targeting athletes with his recovery bombs and, and, and bath bombs and so on and so forth. I want people there from the media, so on and so forth. I curated everything for him. I got him all of the invites. I, you know, those are hot tickets when I say, hey, listen, this is gonna be an invitation. You don't have to pay to come here. Would you like to come? They're like, how many tickets can I have, chef? Yeah, so, seriously. You know, it's a hot ticket pretty quickly. And the return for him was tremendous. And I won't share what he spent. The bottom line is, is that it's not cost prohibitive and it becomes very, very cost effective when you realize what that potential, you know, what the goodwill is. And for him, it was tons of media presence and it was tons of media exposure and athletic and, and, and exposure to the athletes and really an opportunity to get into retailers that he wanted to get into. Yeah, and no, I, I saw that and I thought, wow, what a great idea just in the back of my mind as a marketer, you know, to suggest something like huge. that. Oh, it's huge. I love, I thought that was really, it's, I thought. It's huge for sure. So, you know, I'll give you an example. Like I've already booked many of my clients are law firms, believe it or not. Many of my clients are licensed producers who want to educate or people in the cannabis space who want to educate their teams as to what cannabis food and beverage is because they have no freaking idea. They only know from the garbage gummies and shit that's on the market. They don't know from quality ingredients that doesn't make you bloated, that doesn't hurt your teeth, that doesn't actually have negative impact when we're serving it to people who are, you know, struggling with an autoimmune disease like me or my dad with cancer or, 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 or none of us need refined sugar to cause inflammation. I'm right there with you. Um, so I know we've been talking for a while, but I, I definitely want to just grab two more questions because this is what you're an expert in is everyone's um, struggling with a dosing. How are you dealing with that? Yeah. What Dosing is something I write about often, and it's certainly a chapter in my new book. Um, you know, I don't cook for people like me. I don't cook for stoners. I cook for people who don't consume cannabis. And the reason I do that is because um, it, it makes my experiences um, very approachable for everyone. So I've had, I've had writers here doing an article who have never experienced Forbes magazine flew in. And the goal here is to emphasize what the, what the possibilities are in cannabis food and beverage, essentially redefining what it is we know to be cannabis food and beverage. And I'll give you an example. My signature beverage is an alcohol-free, cannabis-free terpene beverage. Okay, it's a takeoff of a cure royale. 
It's a wild blueberry puree that's pureed and cooled down. And then I add some of this terpene profile called the blue Skittles from my friends in British Columbia. And we puree that and we pass it through a fine mesh strainer or through cheesecloth. And we put that into the base of the glass. We cut some blueberries in half because that contrast of color is beautiful. And we put that in the glass. And then we take some of this actually really great, it's Hill Street Blanc Brut or Brut Blanc, and it's alcohol free and we put it in and what happens is you start to create these, these, these products that people recognize the flavor. They recognize the texture, the bubbles, and it's a very familiar profile. What they're also not realizing and what we come to educate them on very quickly is what you're smelling. And the reason it, part of the reason why it's giving you this, this lift is because there's terpenes in there. Terpenes then combined with cannabis can bring out what we always call and, and different cannabinoids and raw flour and, and, and it brings out that entourage effect or creates that entourage effect. So it's, uh, it's always about creating a whole flour experience. I'm microdose. Okay. How do I control dosing? I don't, and this is really critical for anyone that's going to watch, listen to this, but there's a difference between precisely dosing and individually dosing. If I have a mechanism and there are great mechanisms that are either on the market or coming on the market that you can add a, a cannabis oil to it and it measures it out for you and precisely doses your puree, tomato puree, for example. So I can tell you with certainty that in this puree, this whole recipe, there's 50 milligrams, for example. Okay? Um, yeah. It take something that same mechanism and you go to take that s'mores for example and this is not how i infuse food if you go to take that s'mores and you take that and you individually dose that you have s'mores that you've created nothing's infused you take it and you drop that oil onto one area okay the difference between precisely dosing that mixture and individually dosing that s'mores is this when you puree that precisely dosed mixture, you create a homogenous mixture, meaning that the cannabis, if it's done properly, is evenly distributed. On the s'mores, where is it? It's been precisely dosed, and you can say with certainty there's five milligrams on there, but you're going to take a bite of that corner. You're going to say, you know what, Jordan? I really don't feel like eating all of this I don't really, you know, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to eat the five milligrams of THC or whatever it is. Here's the issue that you and your friend, whomever it, you know, it is, has. You've already eaten 100% of the cannabis because it was only on that one corner. That's the difference between precisely dosing something and creating that homogenous mixture through this batch cooking process and individually dosing your food stuff. Okay, that's the problem. The other issue is this. Oftentimes people at home, and this is, you know, there are more people living in, in um, unregulated marketplaces than regulated. Of course, I appreciate that. But if you live in a regulated market, a legal market, and you have product that's available to you with efficacy, then you should always be purchasing your cannabis products. That way you can be assured to two decimal places what that potency is of that cannabis. If you are creating your infusions at home, 
And you are then going to create a cannabis experience for all of your friends. You can no way create what I call that repeatable experience for your friends because there's no way you can tell them without sending that out to a lab or doing some testing on it, what the potency is of that cannabis. Mm -hmm. Never say to your friends, yeah, there's 20 milligrams. You don't know that. You have no idea what the potency is. 30. Therefore, right. And therefore, when you say, you know what, Jordan, I really like that experience. I'd like to do it again. Your friend Jordan couldn't tell you how to do it again because the potency was never known. So that's why I always encourage people, if you live in a legal market, to purchase legally, to purchase product that does have efficacy and that testing behind it. Right, right, right. So, but I think when I was looking at all your, uh, just digging into your background, that you do use a lot of the infused oils to, to, to make your dishes. Is that, that's how you I do? I do, I use distillate, uh, like the oils. I'll use, I'll use isolate powders. Um, I use a lot of raw flour. My, my meals are very terpene forward. Mm -hmm. um, so if you come for, a, you know, just giving you rough numbers, but if you came for a 15 course experience, only six of those courses would have THC over four hours and in all likelihood there wouldn't be more than, you know, 15 milligrams and that would be on the high end. But you'd have over a hundred milligrams of other, you know, non-psychoactive cannabinoids. Yeah, yeah, enhancing it. Enhancing it, yes, but also not giving you the high, giving you what I describe as that whole sort of body euphoria. That's right, I mean. yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But but do, but you do the, like say like a chili oil or something. You infuse a chili oil and then that's how you do it. Is that what I saw? No, no. So no, no. would in just the way I described it in batch cooking, oh. all of infusions are done through emulsifications. All of them, um, most of them through machine like a Vitamix. You know, if I'm making a brownie, my brownie mixture is avocado and coconut oil and, you know, and, and cacao and maple syrup. So that would, after I brought it up to a temperature, I would put it into my blender and I'd puree it with the cannabis so that it would then become homogenous and e evenly distributed. And then I'd mount in my almond flour and then I'd bake it. More often than not, I try to infuse my cannabis into something that's not really going to be heated or baked to, a, you know, at a, to a, to a great, you know, to a high temperature or for uh, uh, any length of time. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So last question is, well, two last questions. Well, how do you see um, cannabis lounges uh, playing out? Smoking? Do you see infused food, the beverage? I mean, my world would be, wouldn't it be great to have infused foods or dishes? But what you're saying here, it seems like there's still so much to control safety wise for the dosing? Well, you know, for sure there is. It doesn't mean that somebody who's going to write the laws knows enough to, you know, or is going to call me and, and get that information and, you know, and not listen to someone who doesn't necessarily know, you know, to that extent that this, you know, how to create a safe environment for those that are cooking, you know, cannabis, food and beverage. But that being said, they are coming online. And, and things are coming and it's happening slowly. And there's, you know, hotels in Costa Rica and there's, you know, there's, there's, there's hospitality's, hospitality's excited. 
I'll tell you the most exciting market, events. Events, you know, I've been doing micro events for a very long time. The, the greatest opportunity that I see, you know, outside of the food and beverage product, I see events being a huge, huge opportunity. Oh, the starter, the segue into maybe the cannabis lounges. Well, it's it's also just, you know, I, I just think there's, it's it just goes to, you know, it, it's sure, it's a nice segue. I just think it creates a great opportunity in education and normalization of yeah. cannabis. Um, you know, but lounges are coming and, and they're exciting and they're coming to different marketplaces. So when you think about what Janet's done at Gusto Green in LA, you know, it's a hemp forward or plant forward environment. Um, she's really setting herself up for success at, um, you know, when this comes live and, and, you know, and that sort of thing happens. So I, I think people have the foresight, people are excited about it, but, but here's the thing, right? You know, this is the thing that that kills me. Um, and I talk about the cannabis chef versus chef and I've written some things and I don't wanna be, you know, a Debbie Downer, but like you either can cook or you can't. You know, you can't, you, you know, it's great that you can infuse with cannabis, but is your food good? You know, cause if it's not, you know what I mean? Like if your food's not good, then what's the fucking point? You know, like just because you're gonna infuse it with, with cannabis now, it's shit food with cannabis. It just oh, doesn't- Oh, I never thought about that. <laughs> You know, so it's just, it needs to be quality. And, and, and it's like, you know, just because we say, oh yeah, this person cooks with cannabis has, doesn't mean that they weren't a nurse three weeks ago. You know, I'm not a cannabis chef. I am a chef who cooks with cannabis as another great ingredient. I'm 50 years old. I've been cooking for 30 years. It's like, I'm not a cannabis chef. My friends are not cannabis chefs. They are chefs who utilize cannabis in food and beverage. And it's not 100% of what we do in our career, and it certainly doesn't define us. The thing that definitely takes away sometimes is when you have people in the space who just don't necessarily represent it, you know, the way that we want it to. But that being said, I take nothing away from anyone. There's space for everyone. There's, you know, different strokes for different folks. And yeah. It, not I won't resonate with everyone and, and my friends won't. And so I guess there needs to be something for everyone. I just, I always like to draw that distinction between a cannabis chef and other people who are culinarians and who do this for a living. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was kind of focused on uh, consumption lounges, introducing the whole infused food uh, aspect of the industry. But really, I feel like the consumption lounges probably just would be cocktails and, you know, beverages and go, like you go into a bar, maybe some like little stuff. But I think like what you're saying, it's the events that will be a really big platform for experiencing fantastic, uh, experience a fantastic food, infused food. Uh, I think that that's, I think that that is the way of you know the short term at the very yeah. least my micro events as well as some macro um we just executed i came back from greece two weeks ago whatever it was and executed the kind summer fair so two days of the kind summer fair in downtown toronto 
where you know it was it was really unique. It was the first of its kind sampling event. So 500 bud tenders were attended each day, and they had a captive audience with the um, the licensed producers, the brands who could educate those those people who are really critical to the sales of their products and are the frontline workers, the bud tenders, all about their products. Also, the bud tenders left with over an ounce of weed each legally all throughout you know health of canada rubber stamped and everything ready to go that was incredible so it was this incredible captive audience that we created for these licensed producers as well as the the bud tenders then we had the kind summer fair which you know you walk trade shows this was a trade show make no mistake this was at its core a trade show value proposition was completely different you know how we executed it was completely different. There were no trade show booths. Instead of trade show booths, they were all replaced by carnival games and carnival eats. Every single one had this location, you know, where people could come in and test their goods, you know, and try their, and so some of it, or, you know, you couldn't have infused products to, for people to try because it was to the public. You know, the, this, the 500 bud tenders was a self-contained, you know, separate, um, separate event. But the Kind Summer Fair, it was incredible with food trucks that were amazing. The vibe was amazing. Tons of business was done. Tons of education was done, but in a social environment. And that's the ultimate goal. That's the type of, you know, thing that I want to be a part of moving forward. Um, you know, I'm excited about it. Yeah. New York is, you know, I should have said New York because, you know, we are very excited. Um we're very excited about that market. How, how, what do you, how do you want to get in here? Well, I, it's the same thing that I do, right? Like I, it's, it's all about, you know, an extension of mostly it's dinners and, you know, there's, there's opportunities to create some formulations that are there for sure. Um, I'm working with Michigan, you know, in Michigan right now, we're just, it's the preliminary, you know, discussions, but we're working on bringing some product there. So there's different states definitely yeah. excited about. Um, we need healthier food stuff on the market. We need healthier food and beverage. We, we've already established why it's important, but it's it's not good enough. You know, enough's enough. I, I won't, I, I certainly won't eat the gummies that are out there. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've taken up a lot of your time. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.